Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to episode one, season two of Women of Her Story, a podcast still dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Returning this season is, of course, your favorite co-host, Detective Saddlewack. What's your New Year's resolution for 2021? Whack! How's everyone doing? It's your favorite detective here searching for crimes in history or her story, whichever one I end up fighting first. Finding first. My New Year's resolution, thank you very much for asking. My New Year's resolution is to work on some of the mental health issues that I've been dealing with and that I've already been addressing. And I wish for everyone else to be able to address their mental health issues and problems that they might be um, dealing with yeah. this year. You know, it's been a crazy year. It's and been a crazy five year. years so yeah. far in the past week. <laughs> you know, we've we've gone through a lot in this past decade and in the, in the last week. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that resolution, and I think it's brave that you want to share that with our with our listeners. And um, I know this sounds like an ad for better help. It's not, but <laughs> yeah. Everybody, get out there. It's a crazy get year. Help. It's a crazy time. Everyone needs help. Don't do it alone. I know everyone's had a tough year in the past week, but I think <laughs> we could all afford to reach out to someone, maybe, um, you know, check on either someone else or maybe um, reach out to a reach counselor. Out, yeah, to, yeah. you know, and get no that judgment. help that you might need. Yeah, um, I so love that. definitely don't do it alone. Don't you do are it not alone. alone. That's We're never amazing. alone. I love that. I love that. That's so, um, that's so important. What's your New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution is to take the days as they come and not be so controlling in my day. Y'all hear that? Y'all hear that? Yeah, I'm a little too rigid. I'm not always. I'm a free spirit, but I also, um, you know, should allow for the day to go where it's going to go and not have such a rigid idea of how everything's going to work out. It's great. It's good. And I won't overcommit to projects I, um, that will stress me out. Haha. That's a big one for me, guys. So we had a nice end of the year. <laughs> we hope y'all had a nice end of uh, your year, uh, however it was. Um, we're so excited to share with you super all. Super excited. We're so excited to share with you all some um, incredible pieces of history this year. We have some incredible guests on the roster, as well as a few new bells and whistles. We mentioned last year that we would be starting the new year with some new features on the website, but we must confess, and by we I mean I, that the new website is still under construction, but ofherstory.com is still up and running with all of its usual features, so that's still available for you guys to go and look at. Now that all of that is out of the way, let's hop right in to, actually, let's fly right into today's history lesson about the Night Witches of World War II, oh. the 588th Night Bomber Regiment that dropped more than 23,000 tons of bombs on Nazi targets. I knew there was, like, witchcraft involved in, in like, during World War II. <laughs> I was like, no way, everything was just man-made. There had to be some sort of magic. I was like, ah, you know, some of those things just look a little suspicious, so... I'm in these witches. I'm interested in your witch story. <laughs> well, this fierce group of women flew plywood biplanes that were exposed to bullets and frostbite in the air and skepticism and sexual harassment on the ground. That sounds like some kind of magic, but I don't know what. <laughs> 
These women were feared and hated so much by the Nazis that they would award German airmen who downed one of the Night Witch's planes the prestigious Iron Cross Medal. So why the name Night Witches? The Germans nicknamed them Nachthexen, which is Night Witches in German. They nicknamed them this because the whooshing noise the wooden planes made sounded like sweeping brooms. Yeah, that sounds actually, that's... I was just thinking about that while you were explaining it. That's, what, like, a creepy thing to hear at night. I know. You know, you're just, just that Ooh, noise, just and you're looking up with your gun in your hand, like, what? What is happening? Why, this is not a plane. <laughs> Steve Prowse, author of screenplay The Night Witches, said, The sound was the only warning the Germans had. Mm-hmm. The planes were too small to show up on the radar or infrared locators. They never used radios, so radio locators couldn't pick them up either. They were basically ghosts. Can can you imagine that they, that the enemy forces actually got rewarded for taking one of them down? Like they, because that's like, how much they that could, that's how a, much damage right, they did. That's what I'm saying. That's how that's how much of a feat like it was for them. Like that's how strong. That's how um, impactful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think about the time period, and specifically the roles women were playing in the war around the world. Female pilots weren't exactly the first choice. Women were barred from combat initially, but the encroaching enemy made the Soviets rethink the policy. Hitler had launched an invasion of the Soviet Union called Operation Barbarossa in June of 1941. By fall, the Germans were pressing on Moscow, Leningrad was under siege, and the Red Army was struggling. The 588th Night Bomber Regiment was created by Marina Raskova, a.k.a. Soviet Amelia Earhart. She was the first female navigator in the Soviet Air Force, setting an... um, she was the first female navigator in the Soviet Air Force, and she set long-distance flight records. In 1938, she and two other women set the world record for a nonstop direct flight by women. Wow. She flew an ANT-37, a Soviet-built twin-engine aircraft, named Rodina after her homeland. She flew 6,000 kilometers from Moscow to Komsomolsk-on-Amur. I'm so sorry. We're back on bad pronunciations. I'm working, guys. On the southeastern tip of Siberia. As she was flying over Siberia, she started icing up and struggling to gain altitude. They threw everything they could out of the plane and still lost altitude. A crash was inevitable until they could further lighten the plane. Marina was the navigator on this flight, and after pointing out their position on a map, she bailed out into the darkness of Siberia. The two remaining women landed safely at their initial destination... And a hunter rescued Marina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured. I figured when nothing else was left on the plane, one of them would have to. She was like, "My," and she was awarded Hero of the Soviet Union for her record-breaking flight. I love it so much. She's so amazing. Marina received letters from women all over the Soviet Union wanting to join the World War II effort in more than just the traditional supporting roles, but wanting to be gunners and pilots flying on their own. They had lost brothers, partners, and had seen their homes and villages ravaged. 
Marina petitioned Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin to form an all-female fighting squadron, and her accomplishments and visibility helped her to persuade Stalin to form the three regiments of the 588th Regiment. Imagine imagine being able to reason with a person like that for, <sighs> like, feminist rights to fight. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad she was able to uh, appeal to yeah. um, his senses. Yeah, and also kind of crazy that, like, he's the one who was the first in this, you know, modern era to yeah. do that. One of the letters that Marina had received was from Nadezhda Popova, a trained pilot who was turned down when she tried to enlist, to enlist in the military as a pilot initially. Albert Axel, the author of Russia's Heroes 1941-45, to said, No one in the armed services wanted to give women the freedom to die. Ooh, that's such a crazy Damn. way to put it. Yeah. On October 8th, 1941, Stalin gave orders to deploy three all-female Air Force units. They were to fly missions and drop bombs and theoretically return fire. The Soviet Union was the first nation to allow women to engage in combat. Hmm. They were previously only allowed to transfer planes and ammunition, and then the men would take it from there. Oh. The units received more than 2,000 applications. Wow. Yeah. They ended up selecting about 400 women for each of the three units, consisting of mainly students from ages 17 to 26. There were a lot of young uh, young women who were trying to um, participate in this. Mm -hmm. Selected applicants moved to Engels, a small town north of Stalingrad, for training at the Engels School of Aviation. They had an extremely compressed education, only having a few months to learn and master what usually takes several years. They were training to perform as pilots, navigators, maintenance, and ground crew. They they were like, all right, you all have to do it all, so good luck. I mean, yeah. Male military personnel believed that they added little to the combat efforts. The men didn't like that the little girls were going to the front line. It was a man's thing, said Prowse. I know. It's a man's thing to die. Get out of here. Find your own thing. (laughs) The military provided the women with brand new, fitting uniforms and state-of-the-art planes to give them the best chance at performing well. Just kidding. (laughs) They offered them hand-me-downs. Damn. The uniforms were from male soldiers, including oversized boots. They had to tear up their bedding and stuff them into their boots to get them to fit, according to Prowse. Stupid. For the planes, they were given Polycarpov Polycarpov PO2, a 1920s crop duster that was just supposed to be used as a training vehicle. It was a two-seater open cockpit plane that was never intended for combat. It was like a coffin with wings. I can't believe that they actually had the audacity to fly those. Mm. Like to send them, like to send the women out. To oh, they don't those. care about them. <laughs> That's just. Kind oh of, yeah. That doesn't it's even insane. seem. It doesn't even, regardless of the gender, that just doesn't seem like a tactical. Yeah, thing. Yeah, like give like them a chance. Just, <laughs> yeah, or it's give crazy. them something more modern, like they, yeah. yeah. That's. It was the the planes were plywood with canvas pulled over with zero protection from yeah, the elements. I mean, this just doesn't even. At night, they would encounter freezing temperatures, wind, and frostbite. Think about the harsh Soviet winter. The planes would reach temperatures so low that touching them would rip off your bare skin. I believe that. The planes' limited weight capacity and military funds meant that they didn't get the 
quote, luxury items that their male counterparts had, you know, like parachutes, radars, guns, and radios. What a funny thing. A luxury, a yeah. lu- luxury items in war is just a, is a parachute and just things that will help you die a little less faster. Um, luxury items are, are ne- necessary items that they only budgeted for the men to have. Yeah. But the like night- when we think of luxury, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, of course. But pool, that they, when they, when they asked for these things, they were told that they were luxury items that they didn't need. The night witches used rulers, stopwatches, flashlights, pencils, maps, and compasses. The upside to this meant that their maximum speed was literally slower than the stall speed of the Nazi planes. They could maneuver faster than the enemy, making them a harder target. And they could take off and land from most locations. The downside being rather obvious. Under enemy fire, they had to literally duck, like duck their head... And send the planes into dives, and almost none of them had defensive ammunition. I wonder if any of the planes would ever, if their Russian planes, like the old planes, would come up on like GPS. You know what I mean? No, they didn't. There's no radars. That's the whole thing. That's so good. Yeah, they couldn't be detected. That's excellent. Except for every other part that <laughs> came with the flying. If they were hit with a tracer bullet that had a pyrotechnic charge, the wood plane would just burst into that's flames. It. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a They could only carry two bombs at a time. Some sources said one, but more said two. One under each wing. They would send 40 two-person crews at night. Each made eight to eight missions at night. They would fly back to rearm between runs. The weight of the bombs made them fly at lower altitudes, making them easier targets and force them to fly night-only missions. The pilot was up front, the navigator in back, and they traveled in packs. The first plane flew as bait to attract the German spotlight, which would provide illumination. Keep in mind they have zero ammo. They would release a flare to light up the intended target. The last plane in the pack would idle their engine and glide in darkness to the bombing areas. This was the stealth mode that was responsible for their signature witch's broom sound. Whoa, whoa, okay, high tech. (laughs) (laughs) Stealth mode, oh boy. (laughs) Just turning off the engine. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Just literally idling the engine. We are in the future, people. (laughs) Almost every time we had to sail through a wall of enemy fire, said Popova. Yeah. She flew 852 missions and died at the age of 91 on July 8th, 2013. Oh, she was living on borrowed time. That's crazy. How did she, how did she, she, mm-hmm. I can't believe she made it through all mm-hmm. her missions. She I wonder was... how many other pe- women oh, we'll get survived. There. You have the number? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. She was inspired by patriotism and revenge. Her brother was killed after Germans swept into the Soviet Union in 1941, and the Nazis commandeered their home as a Gestapo police station. So she was like, uh-uh, no, 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 fam, I'ma drop bombs on you. That's what she said. <laughs> That's basically what she Verbatim. said. Verbatim, wow, oh, man. <laughs> In the book, Flying for Her Country, the American and Soviet Women Military Pilots of World War II by Amy Goodpaster Streb, Hmm. Popova was quoted recalling the smiling faces of the Nazi pilots as they strafed crowds gunning down fleeing women and children. 
She was the deputy commander of the 588th Night Bomber Regiment. And in a 2010 interview with Russian news service RIA Ravosti, she said, We bombed, we killed. It was all part of a war. We had an enemy in front of us, and we had to prove that we were stronger and more prepared. Popova said to Ms. Streb when she was asked why she decided to learn how to fly, she said, I was a very lively, energetic, wild kind of person. I loved to tango, foxtrot, but I was bored. I wanted something different. And at age 15, she joined a flying club. 15. Yeah. This is before the war. So she's just already, yeah. So, but still, yeah. 15. I don't even think I was able to like... I Were you getting even, your learner's permit? Yet? I don't even. Oh, I definitely didn't have my learner's <laughs> permit. I don't even think I was able to like walk home. Like my parents didn't even want me to walk home alone. <laughs> they were like, "Take the pub, take the MTA bus home. Don't like straight home. Don't walk." And I was like, "Take the bus home. How is that safer? <laughs> At least I'm by myself. Fifteen on the bus with random people. Fifteen, 15. and she's flying. Yeah, fifteen. <laughs> your the- boy's on a bus." <laughs> There were 150 flying clubs in the Soviet Union, and more than a quarter of the students were women. The 588th first mission was June 28, 1942. They took successful aim at the headquarters of the invading Nazi force. During Popova's first mission, a Soviet plane was destroyed, killing two of her friends. Popova dropped bombs on the dots of lights below and returned to her base. She said, I was ordered to fly another mission immediately. It was the best thing to keep me from thinking about it. And she said this to Russian Life magazine in 2003. After being downed once, she found herself among retreating troops and civilians. There, she met a wounded fighter pilot, Semyon Karlamov. He was reading... A Quiet Flows the Dawn by Mikhail A. Sholokov. Mm-mm. And the two struck up a conversation where she ended up reading him some poetry. They were separated, but saw each other several times during the war. They planned to meet at Reichstag in Berlin, scribbled their name on the wall, and then married soon after. I, what a... Yeah, yeah she's, she's Make gushing. Make a movie! She's gushing. That's... <laughs> what a wild thing to think about. Like... Like, if I saw that happen in a movie, I wouldn't believe it, right? Because, like, she's a downed pilot. He is also down. And then they end up meeting because he's reading a book that she likes and wants to read him some poetry while they're fleeing the Nazi troops. And then they just meet up randomly throughout the war. And then at the end of it, they're like, you lived, I lived, let's get married. Yeah, yeah, there's something nice and sweet and Hollywood-esque about it. That's Uh just crazy to think about. Yeah. Why are you so skeptical? I, I don't. I could see it being like a movie trope. And that's why I'm just Not like, even just a... Oh, uh, but like, it's real life. Like, that's what makes it crazier. Right. And, right. And somehow I could just see this being like a Tom Hanks kind of film. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, God. Too wholesome. Tom Hanks again. <laughs> finding a loved one in, in Berlin after World War II. Okay, we get it. You're the best actor. <laughs> Tired of it. Thinks he's the best. There were 12 commandments that the night witches followed, and the first was be proud you are a woman. Killing Germans was their job, but they enjoyed needlework, patchwork, they decorated their planes, and they danced. They even used their navigation pencils as eyeliner sometimes. Uh, 
that's, that's isn't the, that awesome that's oh. i mean you gotta oh. be creative and i did my best i researched i went down a hole for probably about eight hours trying to find the rest of the commandments and they are unavailable. No one has them. And I wonder if it was like a pact to keep them super, super secret, except the first one. I can't believe you did all this research for the episode and you couldn't find the ten- the, the commandments for... Uh, the rest for, of them? For You're myself so... and the listeners. <laughs> Why are you mean to me on this Goodness, episode? people. I will make so sure... I will make sure episode. second episode. God. I will make sure that she has all her ducks in a row. <sighs> The last mission the Night Witches flew was May 4th, 1945. They flew within 60 kilometers, which is 37 miles of Berlin. And three days later, the the Germany officials surrendered. The Germans had two theories about why the women were so successful. One, they were all criminals, um, masters at stealing, and had been sent to the front lines as punishment. Two, they were given special injections that allowed them to see in the night. Do you know, I was, duh, it's obviously the injections. How could they be witches? You know what I mean? (laughs) They couldn't actually be witches. They were all injected. It's a super soldier serum. (laughs) Saw a whole chapter, a whole season about it on (laughs) X-Files. But isn't that so funny that they were like, no way could women be be able to just just be good pilots and good combat officers. It has to be that they're criminals. That's such an insult to, like, their own women. Like, surely our women can do that. How did their women do that? Yeah, our our women could never. Yeah. (laughs) Our women could never be as useful and talented. Honestly. What are they doing over there? (laughs) Must be injections and Thieves. Like if every Ger- <laughs> like if every German woman heard that when they said that they'd be like um yeah they probably just did a better job than the men because duh yeah yeah like what yeah the incomparable night witches flew over thirty thousand missions in total eight hundred per pilot and navigator they lost only thirty pilots and that's out of four hundred and three regiments like three so what twelve hundred women only 30 were lost well you know when you uh have women on the job most of the time it's successful and 20 very little (laughs) you know casualties or issues yeah and 24 of their flyers were awarded the title of hero of the soviet union Raskova, our Shiro, who was responsible for the creation of this regiment died on january 4th 1943 she was sent to the front line and her plane never made it back she was given the very first state funeral of World War II, and her ashes were buried in the famed Kremlin Wall. Well, that's nice of them I to do know. that, at least. I mean, we can only give them so much, but it's nice that they did that much. Yeah. The Night Witches were the most highly decorated unit in the Soviet Air Force during the war. They disbanded six months after the end of World War II. And on the Victory Day Parade in Moscow, the Night Witches were front and center. Kidding once again, they weren't even included. Yeah, I figured you were um, It was decided that their planes were too slow for the fanfare. So even though they were the most successful and decorated regiment of the entire Soviet Air Force, they weren't even invited to the Victory Day Parade. <laughs> Because they were given planes that were crop dusters, so they were like, 
oh, sorry that the planes that you were wildly successful with, they're just too slow for the parade, so. Good job, but you can't sit with us. Yeah, yeah, just. You gotta sit there. Crazy. When looking back on her life, Popova said, I sometimes stare in the blackness and close my eyes. I can still imagine myself as a young girl up there in my little bomber, and I ask myself, Nadia, how did you do it? You know, it's so funny, and I wonder if it's just because we've been on a little bit of a binge, but I, uh, I, that sounds like a very Moira Rose thing. <laughs> Nadia, how, Moira, how, how did you do it? Her asking her, like, her asking, asking herself that, like, how do you do it every day? <laughs> no, but, um, I, you know, of course, it's absolutely unacceptable that, um, you know, they only were able to be recognized so much. You know, especially directly after the wartime, after, you know, they yeah. should have been, their war efforts should have been more acknowledged, although, absolutely, I guess, having, um, at the Kremlin, what was it? Oh, her ashes buried at the Kremlin, in, in the Kremlin uh, wall. At least for her individually, yeah. separately, independently, and having the first that is That's nice. huge. I don't know really where women stood prior to this, but I know the Kremlin is like, you know, for like royals and I mean, major you know, you got to be like yeah. KGB, you know, also <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of cool that they at least acknowledged her that much. Right. Although. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. And it I I really found this um, researching this episode kind of crazy because I didn't. The only reason I know about the Night Witches um, is when we did an episode request swap with the How Did We Not Know That podcast mm-hmm. last year. Um, I was looking up like international people that they could do an episode on, and I came across the Night Witches and just briefly. And listening to their their episode made me want to like further research it and bring it to you guys. And there were things that like I, I the the book that I only read a few excerpts, but the one that's about the women pilots around the world of World War II, that's something that, like, I was never taught that there were female pilots in World War II. Same. I had no idea Same. that there were entire regiments mm-hmm. of female pilots. Yeah. And and so I was in this, like, crazy hole of, not even hole, this crazy, like, amazing valley, right, of Amazing valley. I, I was in a hidden valley of information and dressing. And ranch dressing. <laughs> but, no, it was such an interesting episode to research. and No, it, it, and it was equally as interesting to learn about it. You know, I think we only hear so much about, like, the main, or, like, quote-unquote, the main parts of, like, World War Two. So it's, like, France falling. Um, uh, or, you know, and then Russia's all the women being back home What happened in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, and then the women kind of having new... Rosie Riveter and all of right, that. Right, and then all the men having to, like... Do or, all that other stuff versus right, it being... Right, and then the U.S. Yeah. government's like, save all your metal and your steel. <laughs> we need it for the war yeah. effort. Yeah, you we, we were, learned, like, those types we, we of things. We learned about, like, women in the U.S. who are, like... Taking care of the homestead while the yeah, or being are away. less quote unquote domesticated and like actually taking to the workforce oh, because yeah. all the men because were they having to. to fight. Yeah. So they were like, "We need women to they work," and then the men came them. back, and then the government's like, "Ah, well, just go all last, and you know, get get to it as you were. Back to whatever you were doing." Yeah, it's interesting because we're not told that you know there were also women who were part of the actual combat force, and I wonder if that was strictly because well, I actually don't know if there were. 
women in the U.S. who were part of the. I don't know when that ban was lifted. That's, a, that's on for another women episode. Combat, but, I think that's for yeah. another episode. I can hear the people, the, the listeners. They're clamoring for another they're episode. Saying, of Next this. episode. Or they're saying <laughs> stop, please. <laughs> well, thank you, historians, for tuning into episode one of season two of Women of Her Story. You made it. Woo 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 woo. <laughs> Slap. <laughs> Whack. Whack. <laughs> Detective Pat, what did I call you? Paddlewhack or something? <laughs> Come back this Friday for the first interview of the season. We have graphic novelist and freelance letterer for DC Comics, Gabriella Downey. Whoa. Yeah. In this interview, she talks about getting through toxic and unsafe work environments, working with DC Comics, why she's writing her own graphic novel, and so, so much more. Before you skedaddle, <laughs> subscribe for the show. Tell your friends um, so that we can keep growing and share these awesome stories with as many people as possible. Follow us on the social medias, Twitter at The Her Story Pod, Instagram at Women of Her Story Podcast, and visit our website at OfHerStory.com. Until next week, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Wear a mask. Whack! <laughs>